a picture is better than text and a video is better than picture. And a video that speaks in the target audience language is always better. Welcome to the AI for Creative Entrepreneurs podcast. I'm Kira Hug, co-founder of the Copywriter Club. And on this show, my co-host, Rob Marsh, and I focus on helping you stay ahead of the curve. We'll show you how to use AI to maximize your creativity, simplify your work and life, and reinvent your creative career so AI works for you, not against you. Join us as we explore the intersection of AI, creativity, and career. If you create videos, chances are views, likes, and engagement are a part of how you measure success. We all want our audience to take in our message, but imagine if everyone that watched your video didn't even understand it. How well would your content perform? Across the world, billions of people struggle to engage with great content every day, and it's a problem. At least it was until this week's guest's company saw the opportunity to use the power of AI and give every creative the opportunity to reach a worldwide audience. Oz Krakowski, Chief Revenue Officer at DeepDub, joins us to talk about his journey in the world of AI, his views on the content space, and the possibilities that AI is opening up for all creative entrepreneurs. But before we jump into that interview, this podcast is sponsored by our AI course, AI for Copywriters and Creatives, which has more than 200 copywriters, content writers, and other creatives who have jumped into the course to learn how to use AI as a creative collaborator in their businesses. With access to this course, you can confidently use AI tools in your writing, in your research, and in your strategic thinking without losing your distinctive voice and style. This course includes the 10 things you need to know before you write a prompt, five modules that are designed to help you understand generative AI and ChatGPT, an updated list of over 100 of the best writing tools so you'll know how to make AI work for you without having to sift through literally thousands of tools that come out every single week and dozens of lessons and over-the-shoulder demonstrations so you can actually see how we use these different tools in action. By the end, you'll even have the opportunity to be certified as a prompt engineer, which is a great way to demonstrate your new AI abilities when you talk to new clients and are looking for the next project. You can get started with this course by going to thecopywriterclub.com forward slash AI4C. Okay, let's kick off our episode with Oz. So Oz, how did you get involved in AI? Like what was the trajectory that got you into the field? I started from a very technological background. I come from a family that we, we were brought up with, with technology back in the days of the Sinclair and the Apple II and you know the first IBM PC. And we're very involved in this world back in Israel. And uh, at some point, I, uh, you know, I graduated. I did my uh, bachelor in electrical engineering in Tel Aviv University and decided I, I needed to actually you know, fund my studies. So I looked for a job and uh, I realized I can actually get a good job as a software engineer and decided to combine what I'm studying for, electrical engineering, and 
software engineering coding basically and found a, a job as you know as a, an embedded programmer or a coder um, writing code writing uh, software for hardware basically and so I found myself uh, getting into a company an American corporate called Texas Instruments and I started you know pushing the envelope and continuously push the envelope on my capabilities and what I can do and started getting more and more responsibility there and eventually ended up in a management position handling business. Uh, I traveled the world and as part of my experience with TI, I, I lived in four continents, you know, beyond Israel, also in Europe, Asia, and eventually ended up in the U.S. back in 2007. But uh, at some point, I also realized that uh, I, I did my, my master's in the U.S., my master's in business administration. But I realized, looking back at what I did, that I, I was constantly... Everything I, I did was very entrepreneurial. Even when I did it in the company, it was entrepreneurial uh, in, in a way because when they sent me to Europe, they pretty much sent me with a message, we needed to do this, find the people, you know, identify the project, make it happen. When they sent me to Asia, find the people, you know, make it happen. And I, I worked pretty good in that environment and I, I pretty much strived in an environment that uh, gave me the freedom to to operate on my own with my own drive, um, which led me to the understanding that I'd like to start my own business. So at some point back in 2012, I quit Texas Instruments and started a startup that was entirely different than, than what we do at DeepDub was, in, in fact, in the healthcare business, but was also involved with artificial intelligence. Um, but the idea was to impact people. I'd like to step out of working and creating things in the in the shadows in the backgrounds things that are like three or four layers under or away from the actual customer you know think about your mobile phone for example you know back then i was involved with technologies that are you know with wi-fi and and, and bluetooth and this type of technology are so far from the actual consumer and i wanted to have a better impact to really be connected to to my target audience uh, and so I founded a startup with a friend. We went on for eight years and, and unfortunately COVID pretty much shut the door on us. But at the end of my previous startup, my two brothers started their own startup uh, that they've been working on the concept for, for a couple of years. And I've, you know, we've been always, you know, we're family, so we've been talking through it uh, constantly. But as my startup was shutting down at the beginning of 2020, DeepDub was just founded at the end of 2019. And so as mine was shutting down, DeepDub was gaining traction. And at some point, uh, I just joined Ophir and Ear um, in this very exciting journey. So let's talk about DeepDub. What is it? What is it as a product? What is the vision for the company? Sure. So the concept is that every business has a story to tell, but stories don't always traverse the globe, which is where AI-powered localization, AI-powered dubbing comes into play. It's a cutting-edge innovation that is reshaping the audiovisual landscape. And we at DeepDub, we identified that early on, uh, among the first to actually pioneer this field. And in order to pretty much enable creators of all kinds, whether entertainment or not, to adapt 
their story, to adapt their content to audiences worldwide, enabling them to break the language barriers and cultural gaps of the experience in order for their story to resonate with audiences around the world. Um, DeepDub is really at the forefront of this innovation. Uh, we started targeting the highest tier type of content, addressing the needs of the Hollywood studios, the top quality type of content. And recently we also launched our effort to address the needs or to take everything we learned in that area and address the needs of creators of, of all kinds, whether that's you know professional creators, YouTubers, influencers, ad agencies, or even you and I. So at one level, it could be described as a translation service, but clearly DeepDub does a lot more than just translate. What are the other things that the service does that makes it so valuable? I think the, the best way to describe it very quickly in a very short couple of sentences, the DeepDub Go that we launched uh, about a month ago enables everyone to take a simple video that they created and dub it into multiple languages in a few clicks of a button. I'm hoping that Brandon, who edits our podcast, can jump in there and maybe translate a few of these lines. Ich hoffe, dass Brandon, der unseren Podcast bearbeitet, da reinspringen und vielleicht ein paar dieser Zeilen in drei oder vier Sprachen übersetzen kann. Just to show what that's like. Who knows? We'll, we'll see if we can do that. But it, it seems like uh, it's really cool. If you've got a product that you want to take into other countries, but you maybe don't have those those language skills, does it do anything besides change the audio? Does it also affect the video, uh, the, the way that, you know, somebody's lips might, you know, um, form around the words, those kinds of things so that it looks more natural? Let me take the, this question even more broadly, okay? So beyond just the video, the video might be exciting, but I'll take it more broadly because there are multiple aspects. So going back to what I said before, we take everything we learn from, you know, from the, the big studios, from the Hollywood studios, and try to bring that into the world of, of everyone, basically, and especially creators. And there there's a, a multitude of factors that you need to consider when you take content and you try to adapt it and, and localize it. Uh, especially audiovisual content in, in, into multiple languages, into other languages. Um, and one thing that you're referring to, you're referring to the lip sync, but I will say there is more than that. There is the adaptation to the content, contextual adaptation. Miles in the US are kilometers in Latin America, right? Measures, locations, right? Or sometimes words that I don't want to say in, in a different language where they're maybe you know uh, offensive or prohibited sometimes even um so so even before we even jump into the video itself or the picture even on the on the on the text itself there's a bunch of things that we need to consider there is also adjusting to the length of of the text you know uh, german for example is 20% on average longer than english and spanish is about 10% shorter than english so if I'd like to take everything we say here and dub it into Spanish or dub it, in, dub it into German, I, I would need to consider it because the literal translation might not work. Because literal translation will end up with me talking in German over the next talking segment because it becomes 20% longer. So there's an, an, another level of adaptation that requires us to adjust to the timing, maybe adjust the, the speed that I'm talking at. And then, of course, back to what you said, Rob, changing the video. 
So this is another aspect that AI suddenly brings into play and, and brings that capability. As, as for DeepDub, we were able to demonstrate that about a year and a half ago. We realized that there are multiple constraints of changing video, especially on the, in the entertainment side. You can do it in the, in the creation process, specifically if you're dealing with a, with a new production, then it's easier to deal with because you have access to the cast to, you know, to get their consent. I mean, if we think it's challenging to use someone's voice, then think how challenging it would be to have their consent to change their face. So basically in the creation side, maybe possible because you can talk to them, but what we developed is a method of using AI dubbing at scale. So a lot of the time we are actually dealing with library content with a TV series that was created 10 years ago and having access to the cast, the production team is practically impossible. So we decided to pretty much not deal with it at this point. We just didn't see the commercial justification, but it's possible. And I think that uh, at some point it'll become widely available to, to have the ability to localize or translate the text, adapt it, use whatever voice you'd like, your voice, someone else's voice, obviously voices that are with permission and then also be able to adjust the picture so it looks even better. Let's talk about the opportunity and the exciting part and all the benefits with maybe some specific examples of what this makes possible for smaller business owners, like the creators you're mentioning, the copywriters and content writers who listen to the show. I can imagine this opens up opportunities for us to take our YouTube content and reach new audiences, which... Rob and I are excited about. Um, there's also opportunity to take course content. If you have a course and you have video content to now show up in front of a new audience that you didn't have access to previously, but there are probably so many other use cases for smaller business owners. Can you share a few other ones? Absolutely. And I think that's what gets me fired. It's the fact that we take language, language is a skill. It's a learned skill and we take it for granted. And the ability to enable people worldwide to access content in their own language is something that it's almost a right that is being denied of hundreds of millions of people, maybe even billions of people every day. Uh, you talk about courses, you talk about YouTube content, you talk about information and experiences that are that people just don't have access. And I, I constantly use the country of Indonesia as an example because there are about 200 million people over there, but there's not a, an established dubbing market or dubbing industry there as there is in Europe, for example, or Latin America. But the rate of illiteracy are relatively higher than the than, uh, Western world, which means that subtitles don't cut the message in or don't bring the message in. And localization is, you know, is, is essential or dubbing is essential in order to deliver that message. So the opportunities are across the board, from ads to courses, e-learning. I'm excited about e-learning. I'm excited about, you know, uh, corporate videos, people that would like their technology to be accessible to others, but the entire website, for example, is in one language. I use also that example of a lot of websites you go and there's like at the, the top right side, there is a button that says, you know, change the, the language of the website. And when you do this, the entire text changes to a different language, but the videos usually don't. The videos will stay with the same language, but why not? Why not have the videos change as well? 
And I think everyone's eyes opened when Mr. Beast managed to increase his subscriber base in Latin America when he started dubbing his, his videos into Spanish and uh, pretty much made it very, very clear. There are audiences that are hungry for content, thirsty to, to hear what everyone is saying, but they just don't have access otherwise. So increasing access to content is, is I think, the key message. So I, I love thinking about some of the possibilities and you know what we could do in our business or what other businesses can do, but there's possibly some drawbacks here as well. Deep fakes are a thing. Uh, I'm curious, could somebody take the software that you guys have created, this AI engine, and could I take, say, some video off of one of Kira's reels and create a deep fake, you know, using this kind of software? And what do you think about those kinds of risks? I mean, it's not just it's not just this product. There are lots of products out there that come with these kinds of risks. Let's talk about that for a minute. I agree. There are risks with the technology, but at the same time, you know, every technology eventually, you know, it ends up with what you do with it. Um, in the end, you know, as DeepDev, we are we're not allowing this to happen because we keep the technology close to us and we give you access to a platform that is well controlled. Uh, we are among the the only companies that are you know able to talk on all the ethics and the legal aspects of it, which is why we are trusted by the Motion Picture Association and we work you know with Hollywood Studios. It absolutely, you know, a thing for you to consider when you work with a company to, to think about, you know, the, the legal, ethical, moral aspects of the technology and the way that company is making use of, of your information. Whether some company can now start crawling the web and access information and use that, you know, that can happen. And I think guardrails are going to be in place more and more as we keep uh, progressing. But at the same time, companies that are Paying attention for this type of concerns from the get-go, from day one, will be able to bring that message or bring that innovation to the hands of creators and to the hands of, of people to use ethically and use uh, morally. You know, uh, if you remember, you know, CDs, when they came in, people were afraid that everyone's going to steal videos and steal music. Uh, but eventually, you know, uh, surprisingly, Blu-rays still sell. Uh, I don't think anyone is busy copying Blu-rays these days. What are some potential downsides you see for smaller businesses who maybe don't adopt this technology over the next few years as it rolls out? You know, I can imagine if you aren't staying up to date on this and thinking more globally about access, then your business, if you're a media-based business, like you could just be taken out by someone who maybe started off smaller, but thought about all the opportunity and started using something like deep dub. So um, I guess what are the potential consequences of not staying up to date and testing these, these new tools over the next year or so? That's a, that's a very interesting question. And I, I, to be honest, I think it's, it's just like with every other type of technology, when you run a business, at least in the, you know, in our world, especially if it's a for-profit business, you're trying to grow. And growing in our world means, uh, in, definitely in a world of content, means getting more exposure. And if you're in a business that needs more exposure to your content through whatever extent in order to grow, then you need to start thinking yesterday about localizing your content. And AI-powered localization, AI-powered dubbing is a means to have access to it that is affordable, 
that is fast, that can bring you quality, and you can be in control of the entire process. Uh, traditionally, the process is very complex, very cost inefficient, uh, takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, requires multiple players, and which is pretty much why it was only exclusive to you know very complex projects. Television and film are it used to be at least, uh, still are to some extent, you know high budget projects that can afford it. Mr. Beast can afford it. He makes a lot of money. But can a small YouTuber afford it as well? And even before, you know, I talk about for-profit, but even non-profits that are trying to deliver a message, a, a church that is trying to, you know, to address uh, its audience, even in the U.S., you know, we, not everything is done in English. In fact, Spanish is, a second, is, is a, an official second language. To some people, it's the first language. So to many, actually, to millions of people, it's, it's their first language. So if you're creating something in the United States, why not have it in Spanish as well? Or if it's in Spanish, why not have it in English? You know, it, it's as I'm thinking about the different uses, it strikes me that in the past, there have been actors who've been criticized for having terrible accents in movies, uh, like Russell Crowe, I think, did a, a bad British accent, and Kevin Costner had no English accent in Robin Hood. You guys could fix that problem f for them, I'm assuming. You know, with this kind of localization, it's almost like this add-on layer where actors don't need to act quite as much as, as maybe they did in the past, or they don't need to, you know, work with a, a language specialist or a pronunciation specialist. Is that the kind of stuff that you're doing with Hollywood now, or is it going even beyond that? So you're touching a very, very important piece of information that is also something that I have to say here I took from, from Macon. If you remember that concept of thinking versus dunking, and also the focus of shifting towards the editing and composing and rather than the mundane tasks. Uh, when we talk about entertainment, the creative side of things, the performance, is something that is, I think, very unique to some extent can be replicated. But in the end, even when we do high quality content, you know, uh, we didn't talk about it, but we, you know, we can talk about methods of doing AI dubbing. But one of the methods is using speech to speech technology. Speech to speech technology basically enables us to borrow the performance or get inspired of a performance of a voice actor and apply a specific voice style to it. But we still need a creative voice actor to provide the performance. Um, in other words, the creativity side of it is still being provided by people in the process. And I don't think that's going away uh, so fast. I think the creativity is just maybe shifting, but it's still required. AI can be thought to be creative, but in the end, it can only recreate things that it learned before in, in certain ways. And true innovation and creativity still comes from, from people. Uh, I'm definitely signing up for the version that makes me sound like Sean Connery uh, <laughs> in all of our, our future podcasts. I think that'd be kind of fun. You, you know, a funny thing about, about voices, especially in established markets, in markets that are so used to watching content, entertainment content that is dubbed to their language, there are already established voice actors. If I take, for example, Latin America and we try to use Tom Hanks' original voice into Spanish, People will tell you, hey, it sounds great, but it's not like, it's not how he sounds. It's not his voice because they're so used to hearing him in a different voice, in someone else's voice. Um, so, so yeah, so for the entertainment side, 
some voices, especially the super talents, are not going to be replaced anytime soon. I don't think so. Um, but in new markets, you know, where it can be done, it can uh, it can definitely be a, a breakthrough. Regardless, you know, we talked about accents and uh, we, we have several cases right now that we're dealing with of, you know, removing accent, enabling accent and things like this that, uh, you know, customers want to have. And what is is emotion prompting? Is that related to what you just shared or is that something separate? How does that work? It's it's separate. Emotion prompting is an entire new field that is extremely exciting, I, I have to say. Uh, if I talked about speech to speech where we borrow the performance from a, a performer, um, we call it voice guide. The, the emotion prompting is where it, is, it comes into play in cases where we don't have a, a performance and we are actually trying to add emotion to voice that is generated from text. So basically think about, you know, ChatGPT uh, can read text and create text. And there is a context to it, and you know how you can almost have a dialogue with ChatGPT and ask questions about what happened, and it feels like, you know, really understands what you're talking about. Um, what we created is a text-to-speech engine, basically a, an engine that, a, that creates voice or dialogues from text that understands the context of the text. So, for example, I, I tried just yesterday to use the, that platform, our platform, to create a dialogue from text, but there was a linguistic error in the text and the voice did not come up properly until I fixed it. <laughs> and it, because it really understands the text and tries to apply uh, emotion based on the context of the text. And emotion prompting is the ability to change for us as you know, someone to come from outside, a person, to come from outside and tell the AI to put a specific emphasis on certain parts of a segment of voice or of a sentence and say, here, I want you to sound more sarcastic, sad, angry, amused, you know, giggly, or, you know, a little bit change that perspective of the AI, how it will actually deal with the content. Because, you know, the same sentence I can say in many, many ways it really depends on what is the emotion I try to convey. It doesn't tell it to put an emphasis on a specific word, for example, because that's going to come from the context. It does tell it to say, you know, to be, and, and we have ways of doing that as well, but the emotion prompting gives it a context, a emotional context to that specific sentence. So, so this is really interesting. So could I take uh, like, you know, a recording of a politician who's being sarcastic and, and put it through this and say, actually make him sound more contrite and actually change the context of a conversation. Is th that's what we're talking about doing here, right? T technically, yes. Yeah, we wouldn't. Probably no, I'm not saying I want that. to do that necessarily, <laughs> or that somebody good would do that. But I'm just, I'm just trying to like wrap my brain around like the capabilities here. I love um, how your mind, Rob, goes to all the trouble you could cause, and I'm. <laughs> I'm thinking about all the positive things you can do and you're just going straight for trouble. I, well, I, I like both because, again, I can see like some of the positive yeah. stuff, but I'm also thinking like, I mean, there there are definitely politicians who are who are not good people, right? That could make themselves more appealing. And conversely, uh, there are good people out there that, that we could use to make it sound worse or, or better, you know, whatever. So, yeah, I'm just like trying to figure out like all of the ramifications of it. When I look at it, I think about the ability to create localized content fast because I can take, for example, our conversation and I can transcribe it into text. And then on the text itself, I will create something that is different than what we have, but it's still very good. 
it's not yeah. going to be exactly the same emotions that we have in the discussion, but it's going to traverse, you know, to a different language. It's going to be accepted and still resonate with the audience. And if I can do it fast, effective, and cost-efficient, then I'm breaking a barrier here because I'm providing you the means to actually do something that you couldn't do before. What are some use cases for the content creators and again, like the creative freelancers that might be, you know, more positive use cases for this, this type of emotion prompting? Um, WR podcasts, your YouTube videos, audiobooks, articles. You have, you have an article, a blog post. You'd like to create a, an excerpt, a social media post with a, a small piece of it. I mean, I'm imagining a snapshot of the page and saying, you know, a key phrase out of it, one sentence, two sentences, something that is very quick and having it in multiple languages. Uh, specifically, you know, if it's a ad campaign that needs to talk to your target audience, we all know that a picture is better than text and a video is better than picture. And a video that speaks in the target audience language is always better. So all of these things that you can do quick, you can do fast, you don't need to go into a studio. You can do all of it from the browser at home or in your office, basically enable you to, to access new audiences. Of course, it goes to even more professional uh, type of consumers or customers, such as you know e-learning, online courses, edutainment, uh, corporate videos, webinars, a lot of content that is in video, etc. So Rob and I could use it for sure on our podcast, not on the YouTube channel, but just on our regular audio podcast. We could use it and grow our access, increase our access. Like we can break Absolutely. into into South America by translating it to Spanish or Portuguese into Brazil, that kind of a thing. Absolutely, yes. So how do we, can you talk through how we use it? I know this isn't a demo and, and there'll be some people who will listen to this and not see it, but can you just talk through like how... How much time goes into using this tool? I know it's, you said it's fast, but is it? how does it work when we actually sit down to do it? Yeah, so basically, uh, essentially for, you know, using our platform to start with, as simple as, you know, going on dipdub.ai, find the button to join or to access dipdubgo. The platform is called dipdubgo. That's a platform that is enabled for everyone. And once you get access, I think today we still haven't opened it to the, you know, worldwide. It's still a waiting list, but we're bringing people slowly on board. And within a few weeks, it's going to be open entirely to everyone. You go on board. The platform looks, looks like a, a simplified video editing tool. You have instructions on how to upload your video. If you don't have a video, you just want to create audio. You can just start creating segments of, of text and generate them. But let's say you start from a video. What, what happens is the following. You upload a video, literally drag and drop your video. The video starts getting processed by the system. At the end of it, you will immediately get a transcript of the video. So everything that has been said is going to be in text. Next to it, you'll find automatically the translation of it into that language that you'd like to, that you initially mentioned that you'd like to have. If you want more, then you'll have additional episodes or additional languages that you can use for the same episode. So you can have in a project multiple episodes and for each episode, you can dub it into multiple languages. So you'll, you can basically, you know, if you started with Latin American Spanish, you'll, you'll open that language, you'll see your 
transcribe text and immediately the translation will show up. If you go to German, for example, it'll do the same only into German. You choose the voice out of a list of voices. So your default voice that the system will use could be a male, female, and you can choose a basic emotion for the emotion prompting. Uh, if you don't choose, a default one will be used. And then press a button to generate the, the audio. From that point and on, how much you invest in it is up to you. So you wait a couple minutes, uh, depending on the length of, of your text. All of the text segments will be generated into dialogue. You can export everything as an MP4 and post it to the world, relax and, uh, and, and, and watch your uh, exposure to your content goes up. Or if you'd like to actually curate it and make sure that everything is fine and increase the, you know, there's always room to make it better in terms of the quality. You know, I'd like the emotion to be here. I, I don't like the translation here because, uh, you know, the transcription here was breaking the, the sentence into two parts and I'd like it to be the same part for the contextual creation of the voice will actually consider both parts as one, etc. So there's multiple things that you can actually consider and what one of the things that we're working on before we open it, uh, we make it entirely open is to have all those tips and tricks, you know, available to everyone. So you can actually know what to do, you know, how you can basically get your quality higher with simple steps. It's always easier if you speak the target language, if you're trying to dub into Spanish, then, you know, it's easier if you actually speak Spanish. If you don't, you can actually collaborate as well on the platform, bring someone that speaks the language and have them give you comments. Hey, here it sounds a little bit, uh, you know, it doesn't sound right or... You should use this word and not the other word, etc. So, and you can make those adjustments or have them actually do it for you. So, I know it's not a general release yet. Uh, I've signed up for the wait list, so we'll see if I get bumped to the top of the list or not. But um, when it's released, what like what is this going to cost people? You know, when we started out talking about Hollywood and you know doing this in in big picture productions, I'm imagining, well, yeah, I mean these budgets are millions of dollars. Um, most podcasters who may want to, you know, be heard in Mexico instead of just the United States, obviously don't have million dollar budgets. So what's that going to look like? First of all, you're absolutely right. It's it's different, and also in terms of the capabilities that the system have that we have internally. When we go to a high quality, you know, theatrical or TV production, it's it's not the same. Obviously, what you can tolerate in a YouTube video is not what you are willing to tolerate when you watch something on Netflix, for example, or or definitely in cinema. Which is, you know, which is why we have this difference. But um, essentially, the platform itself, the Deep Dub Go platform, is a classic SaaS platform. You go online. We're, we're going to have three tiers available. One is, you know, a freemium where you can play with the with the platform and and do something, you know, short content, limited uh, uh, capacity. Then there's going to be another tier that is under $100 with certain limitations that give you the ability to do something more. And then there's going to be another tier that is slightly above. And of course, there is a, an enterprise level for customers that need multiple users on the platform, limited ability to generate content and additional features. And I, I suppose most of this is based off of the amount of uh, content we're putting in there. So, you know, it's like four hours of content or 12 hours of content, that kind of a thing. We measure it by by words or uh, or letters that are being used to generate. So in fact, you can say that you know a lot of the service is almost given for free, as long as you generate in the end. So the translation is almost for free. I would say. 
It's like you get the, the transcription, you get the video immediately transcribed, translated, and then the generation is what you actually pay for. Seems like there's a good opportunity here for job creation too. You know, we talk a lot about writers losing their jobs and there's fear around many people losing jobs, but it seems like there's a a role here for someone, I don't know what you would call it, to do this work and go in and use a tool like yours for my client. If Rob is my client, then he wants me to give him access to multiple countries and languages, then I he'd hire me to actually do the work and spend the time to make sure it's quality work and then to check it at the end. Seems like a really good opportunity. How do you see that or the potential there for creating new job opportunities? I love this question and the way you presented it because it's another thing that I'm actually very excited about because it is real. There are multiple opportunities that, not potential opportunities, real opportunities that already exist. And, and, and we're, you know, we're always being faced with the question, but at the same time, people are not aware that we are on a daily basis being uh, uh, contacted by people from within the creative community, whether translators, uh, uh, voice actors, dubbing directors, from all sorts, all, you know, the entire spectrum of the, of the creative uh, community that are contacting us to, to find ways to work with us, for us, because they understand that, you know, there is an evolution of a lot of those creative jobs, even in the world where, you know, where AI takes a prominent uh, position. Specifically here with the Deep Dub Go, one of the, one of the roles that we created is the, the adapter, is a person that will go in and will basically, you know, curate the transcription, the translation, the, the, the output of the voice. In the past, you would need someone to do the transcription, another person to do translation, another person to either record the voices and, and do some dubbing director. Now one person can, those, all of these uh, roles are being fused into one, one role, one person that can actually do this for simple content, content, right? I mean, for spoken content. If it was more technical information, like an online course in physics, that adapter will need to understand physics in the target language. So it's not enough that I can understand physics in, in English. I need to understand how to talk about physics in Spanish if I want to be the adapter for that content in Spanish. And these are opportunities for, you know, for, for people to come in and have a job in something that they maybe never had before in order to, to support content creators that have that type of content and need to, to, to make it accessible to different audiences. So I'm curious where you see this going in the future and, and what becomes possible sort of as the next step. So for example, if I'm on vacation and not able to show up for a podcast interview, could Kira, you know, assign half of the questions that she asks and say, hey, let's have Deep Dub create Deep Rob to answer these questions. Like, does that become possible at some point or is it more limited than that? I actually think that it, will be possible. You know, how fast will it get to a point where we will not be able to notice that it is not you? I'm not sure it's going to be that fast. But if you ask me to look into, you know, uh, into the future, and I, I've said it, you know, in interviews a couple of years ago already, and I think we're starting to see steps towards that. But if you, you know, my vision for all of this technology to come together is 
I'm going to throw, you know, a, a potential use case that is similar to what you, you mentioned, but uh, my potential use case or futuristic use case is to have a, for example, sports broadcast where one commentator is a real person and the other one is entirely virtual. Maybe based on a, in someone's you know likeness or or, or not. We, we could bring or Jack Buck back from from the dead and have him. <laughs> that would be amazing. Or maybe you know what? To me, also more fascinating is that it's someone entirely fictional, but still extremely knowledgeable, right? And not only that, they're having a real conversation, but they're also having it in real time in in multiple languages. And this is being broadcasted. You know, think about that in a World Cup in, in five years from now. And you have it, you know, in 120 languages simultaneously, everyone in the world. For example, I'm talking about soccer because it's more of a worldwide phenomenon. So before we start to wrap, if we can step away from the work that you're doing at Deep Dub and just speak to kind of what's happening in AI in a broader sense, I'm curious to hear what maybe does concern you and then what you're excited about outside of your, outside of your work. I will say that generative AI is definitely a place that brings that really excites me. Everything around generative AI in the applications, and I'm fascinated by the new applications we see daily with the generative AI. Uh, just you know, just like everyone else, I've I've been you know working with ChatGPT and Jasper and other tools that are enabled by generative AI, and and the capabilities seem to be endless. You know, uh, from and especially on the creation side, especially on the ability to to do things in a way that's, uh, that is way faster and not to be confused, not replacing people, but accelerating, making us more efficient. You know, if I needed a week to create a blog post in the past, I can do this, you know, I can do 80%, 90% very fast and then spend my time on the things that really matter to me, you know, the, the, the actual essence of the content rather than choosing a word here and there because the output is already good. I just need to, you know, I, I, I choose the topic, I choose the, 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 the data, but I let it create very fast. And, and those opportunities are, are fascinating. And we, um, I'm really passionate about everything in it. I think that we, are, we have all been very exposed to what we can do with text in the past half year. But we are just starting to get exposure to what can be done with audiovisual content. So that's the next, you know, uh, and I had that discussion with Paul at Macon, uh, uh, which is, you know, look, look around, every, look around, everything is about text and there's almost no audiovisual. And I'm excited about the, the next year where I truly think that we're going to see breakthroughs, multiple breakthroughs around that area. You know, Rob, you talked about, you know, virtual avatars. Virtual avatars that are talking in different languages, very coherently, very you know intelligibly. You know, it sounds just like ChatGPT. It sounds very you know very human-like, and and that are really contribute to discussion and, and almost indistinguishable from from a human person, and can really enhance our experience in multiple ways. I think another. Prediction to that would be that we're going to see more generative AI in entertainment as well, beyond just the basic AI dubbing that we're involved with, but see more synthetic voices in, in, in cinema. We started seeing it in the past couple of years, you know, with other companies like us that are in the, in the field with creation of voices of people that 
are no longer with us or don't have the ability, voice cloning specifically. And I think we're going to see more in terms of, you know, uh, enhancing graphics, not only the voice, but also voice and sound uh, ability of AI to sing, to really participate in more meaningful ways in different types of content. Yeah, sign me up. I'm excited to to see where this goes. I, I have this feeling that uh, Kira's ready for virtual Rob so she can do some emotional adjustments and maybe a virtual Rob won't jump to the negatives uh, as much as real Rob does. Well, speaking of the negative, I feel like you didn't, Oz, you didn't actually mention what you're concerned about or what might keep you up at night. I don't think you mentioned, you talked about what you were excited about. Does anything kind of still, con- what, anything you're keeping an eye, close eye on right now? Yes, I will say that we are working very hard to make sure that we are always on the ethical side and on the legal side of everything that we do. And I think that's very important and it's an important message. If you're dealing with a company, make sure that what you do is is ethical, you're on the right side of, of morality and, and also on the legal side. I will not use Rob's voice without Rob's consent. And I've been asked, I've been asked even this week, I've been asked, you know, oh, we need to do this test. Uh, do you have to have, do we need to have permission? I, Absolutely. We will not do anything without that person's consent and you guaranteeing it. And I will say that in many ways, it's in our hands. So if we allow it to break through that moral barrier and and ethical barrier, then it will happen. If we don't allow it uh, and we put the limit and say, this is something we shouldn't, that shouldn't be done and I'm not going to take part of it, then it's going to stop. Yeah, I, I, let's hope everybody shares uh, that that ethical line uh, for sure, because uh, I can see a ton of really cool applications here that can help a lot of people grow and expand. Uh, but that there's definitely there's definitely some risks here, and uh, we should definitely be keeping an, an eye on them. So, Oz, if somebody has has been watching and listening and wants to try Deep Dove or wants to get in contact with you, what should they do? Go on our website, log into deepdub.ai, click on the join deepdubgo button and you'll be able to immediately try the platform uh, and and decide if if it's for you. And if so, sign up. You can always find me on LinkedIn, Oz Krakowski. You can find me on on Twitter and you can send me an email, oz at deepdub.ai or info at deepdub.ai. All right, well, thank you. This has been fascinating and I'm excited to test this out in our business. Rob, I think we're ready. Yeah, I'm excited to try it too. All right, we wanna thank Oz Krakowski for joining us on the podcast to talk about Deep Dub and the future of video localization. I know for this podcast and then the Copywriter Club podcast, we are really excited to think about how we can use tools like this to reach a larger audience of copywriters from all around the globe. And I think tools like this are giving us such an incredible way to reach new people and build community in a larger, more impactful way. So I'm personally excited to dive into it and check it out and figure out how we can use it with our podcast and video content. If you're interested in exploring Deep Dub or learning more about video localization, you can connect with Oz on LinkedIn and learn more about his company through the link below this episode. And once again, if you want to jump into our AI for Copywriters course, go to thecopywriterclub.com forward slash AI for C. 
That's the end of this episode of AI for Creative Entrepreneurs, a Copywriter Club podcast produced by Brandon Burton. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please leave a review of the show on your podcast app so we can reach other creative entrepreneurs who are interested in exploring AI. Or if you're catching this on YouTube, you could always like this video, you could subscribe to the channel, you could leave a comment below, there are tons of choices, or let us know your favorite takeaway from the show in the comments so we can hear from you. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.